I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 236. Y'all, straight out the gate. Adnan Syed is released temporarily, pending, they have like 30 days to retry him. Right. Ooh! For all of those who, well, if you don't know what we're talking about, the very first season of the podcast Serial, which kind of like kicked everything off in the true crime world. To make it like like a narrative, a told narrative of that. You know, because everyone watched Dateline and... Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying podcast-wise. Yeah. yeah. They are the ones that literally kicked it off. Yeah. And I'm sure there were more before that, but like broke through. Right. Everybody listened. It was... And it's been so long ago that like there's so much I can't even remember. I know. But I remember being like, oh my God. Yeah. I was captivated by that dang story i wonder if since he got out well his his uh conviction was vacated i wonder since he you know that happened that if they're trending again like if people oh, are going back and yeah if people are going back and listening oh i'm sure like right now the crown is trending again even though it's yeah. been out for four seasons it's like whoa wait, wait we're gonna watch this again yeah <laughs> bless his heart just bless his heart but also though bless Heyman lee's family's 100 because they are it's like everybody's on his side and it's like, I think they think he did it. And so it's like, they're just having to relive all of this yeah. trauma. And that obviously is the victim that we're talking about. So yes. that just, I don't know, it breaks my heart for their family to have to go through this. Mm-hmm. I know, but I hope that they do get justice in the long run. Yeah. Also, I don't know about you, but I've been watching Dahmer on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my to-do list. And everybody is raving about Evan Peters. Like, oh my God. Okay, I hope he went to counseling after this because he reaches such a dark place. I mean, I'm assuming because he puts me there, you know, just watching him. It reminds me almost like Heath Ledger and The the Joker. Yeah. But one thing, so I thought I knew stuff about Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, I I did, but I did not know he was a convicted sex offender. I don't think I knew that either. When they said that, I was like, wait, what? Like, he honestly should not have been out when half of this stuff was going on. But again, it just like, oh, you know, makes you so mad because it's like those murders would not have occurred had he been behind bars. Um, and kind of back to the Evan Peters thing, I feel like he does that with all of his characters on American Horror Story. Like, yeah. he takes him to a place where you're just like, he's so fucking good, you know? Yeah. Like, so many actors are themselves playing themselves, you know? Yeah. And he is Evan Peters playing whatever he's playing. Like, yes. he truly becomes the character. Yes. And this is really good. I haven't finished it yet. But I have not looked at my phone. I have not done anything. And it's not, in my opinion, exploitative to that. Because it comes from the point of view of his neighbor, who's played by Niecy Nash. I mean, love her. Yeah. But also, it does show a lot of the victims and, like, their lives outside of this. So it's not just, like, only on Dahmer. You know, it Mm -hmm. really, like, you get in there. You get invested. Well, I'm definitely going to watch it. I mean, it's number one on Netflix right now. Yeah. Also, that, like, makes me so happy for Evan Peters because, like, he just was, like, this little kid. Not even a little kid, but, like, young guy when American Horror Story started. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he was, like, the goofy friend in Sleepover. And I'm like, go freaking Evan Peters. And I'm so proud of him. Like, I feel like we've been there for his whole career if you're, like, a big American Horror Story fan. And it's like, 
I'm so proud of him. Like, he's so big right now, and I love that yeah. for him. And like you mentioned, he has been amazing on every American Horror Story season. Anything has been amazing. But I am telling you, he has, like, transcended in his acting in this show. So definitely go watch it, please. Okay, so I have this new obsession with this TikToker on Netflix, on Netflix right now. Good Lord. On TikTok. So her name is Ash Caps, like A-S-H-C-A-P-P-S. She goes through all these uh, nonprofits, 990, which is like basically their tax return. Oh, shit. And when I say, holy fuck, at how much companies make, like the one I just watched was on St. Jude. And it's like, how much money these people, these nonprofits have and how much they are paying in salaries to their top executives. We're talking like six-figure salaries, like like mid-six-figure, like huge salaries for these companies. And it's just like, that's what your donations are going to. Yeah. You know? And like, and she just, she has always worked in the nonprofit world or I don't know. I'm not trying to tell her story, but like <laughs> she works in nonprofit world and she's like, I always look up companies before I start working with them. And this is how I do it. And this is all public record stuff. Like you could look this stuff up and it's like, holy shit. I love that kind of stuff. Me too. But I would never go do it. So Girl, I'm going right? to subscribe. Because I'm like, I want to know. Like, there are things that I don't give money to because of that. That I'm like, no, their CEO makes a million dollars a year. I'm not I'm not paying for that. Yeah. But I'm also like, can you tell me the stuff that actually does good with their money so that I can, like, help people, you know? Yeah. Well, there's this TikTok account that I am now obsessed with. Okay. And I've showed her to you. Is it the kid that does makeup? No, I mean, also obsessed with her. <gasps> now that you say that, okay, I love her, you know, and I try to hype her up all the things for TikTok. And I know this is a good thing, but ultimately, if these people are on here to create, it's really bad. But because she's under 16, no one can comment on her videos anymore. Oh, no. So it's good in the sense of people who put stuff out and then people like bash them and stuff, yeah. you know, and so like they don't have to deal with that. But now, so she puts stuff on TikTok and she's like, if you want to talk to me, go over to Instagram. I fucking love her, though. Well, her name is um, Makeup by Alexis K. She's so cute. But um, yeah, it looks like all of it says comments limited by creator. Yeah, Carrie just went uh, and sussed it out. So I don't know. But I'll, all I know is I was watching a thing and uh, she was like saying that. So I was like, oh, man. But I don't know. I have to look that up about the things mm -hmm. under 16. But no, this <laughs> this one is this. Uh, they're both young. They're like 20s. Um, but it's a newlywed couple. But they've been together since forever. OK, but I think it's like Drew D-R-U-E dot B two or something because it's like her second account because her other one got like messed up or something so I don't even know how I found her but she reminds me her and her husband Gabe remind me of you and Colby so much and they have your couch remember and I was oh, like yeah yeah, yeah 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 okay so at first I was like oh my gosh you know whatever no I, I fucking like watch all of her and I found out they had a YouTube uh, channel and I watched, uh, I watched their proposal thing. And so 
Gabe did this whole thing like where he had set it up and stuff. He reminds me a lot of Colby, but he, he was like, I really hate lying to Drew because she thought he couldn't come to the beach or whatever, you know? And he was like, so he like tried to fake a text. He did all this extra stuff to be like, oh no, I got to work. And he works like not construction, but like pipeline, something. I, I can't remember. They're in Texas, so probably oil, something. But he works a job like Colby's old one, you know? And so uh, she was like, oh man, okay, you know? But she kept trying to FaceTime him and stuff to show him the beach, show him the condo. And like, that's just something y'all would do. Yeah. Like, hey, just got here. Look at this. This is going to be my room, you know, whatever. And he's like, stop doing it because I can't <laughs> keep lying, you know? <laughs> and so it was just so funny and it was so cute. And I'm like, that's just something Colby would do. Like, I hate lying to her, but I have to. Yeah. And he's the worst liar. <laughs> uh, so let us know what TikTok accounts you like. Because I got a lot of time to spend. I.e. when I'm on the toilet, you know. that's how, Isn't that where everyone TikToks? Yes, and that's where you spend a lot of time. <laughs> I can't help it. Okay, enough with all the cute stuff, okay? We're going to be talking about some heavy, heavy stuff. So I'm doing something a little different today. And I'm talking about a woman we all should know about because she's freaking amazing. Her name is Helene Kanabe. But other like, it's one of those things that you don't know what her freaking name sounds like because 25 people pronounce it 25 different ways. Mm-hmm. Some people say NAB because it's K-N-A-B-E. But a lot of people had said Kanabe. So picture it. It is 1875, and Helene was born in Germany. She had a, you know, a father and a mother. However, when she was still like teeny tiny baby, her dad left her mom. And then sadly, her mom passed away not too long after that. And so she was raised by her uncle. Her childhood years were very modest. You know, her uncle worked as a diver, and he would like scrub the... Um, what do you call it? The stuff, Davy Jones kind of things off barnacles. I couldn't think of that name. I was not anywhere near where you were. <laughs> I thought Davy Crockett. So <laughs> I was like, barnacles? <laughs> I should have said SpongeBob. Isn't that barnacle something? I don't know. Anyway, I, why do I say barnacle? Like I have to, you have to, you can't just say, oh, he scrubbed barnacles. Like that just sounds... Mm-mm. it's barnacle it's gotta get in there and scrub it off anyway he did that and I mean he just wasn't making a whole lot but he really emphasized schooling and all the things you know he was like look you're gonna be someone I know you are and she wanted to be someone and she really had a dream of becoming a doctor and again this is a huge dream coming from her background you know they were very modest they weren't upper crust or anything But it also felt very impossible because at the time in Germany, which was at this time like part of Prussia or something, you know, I'm not here for the history lesson, even though I majored in history, I have no idea. But women were not allowed to study medicine. Therefore, they were not able to become doctors. So she wanted something that wasn't even allowed, you know. But she held on to that dream and her cousin visited her and was like, hey, women can go to medical school in the U.S. And the cousin lived in Indiana. So Helene was like, "Uh, yes, girl, I'm coming. And she did. She moved to Indiana in 1896. 
So she had to make some extra money for her. You know, like she's coming over really without a plan other than I'm going to be a doctor. And so she worked as a seamstress and she also helped some wealthier families with their household stuff and just whatever she could do. And it was almost a barter with that part because they would help teach her English. So she was just a fucking go-getter, you know, like she had a dream and she really went for it. I wish I was like that. Me too, but I'm not. Me neither. (laughs) But I mean, just think about it. She came over here. She's working as a seamstress. She's getting very little pay. You know, she could definitely use money for doing the stuff she's doing for the families. But instead, she's like, no, this is actually going to help me in the long run. You know, I can eat a little less and, you know, learn how to speak English. And that's going to help me for my goal. And we all need to be Helene. But anyway, I love people who can play a long game like that. Yes, I'm not. I'm too not me either. No, I can't tell a sentence in a short way. Mine has commas, semicolons and parentheses. Like, no, I get sidetracked. But in the 1900, like year 1900, that's so weird when it's like that. But 1900, she started Butler University where she prepared for medical school. And then later in that same year, separate semester, she did indeed enroll in the Medical College of Indiana. In this college, you had to basically maintain a C average, like 75%. And You had to dissect every body part you were instructed to. So it wasn't like, oh, well, if you can do this, you can, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. There were no excuses. You had to do it. You could not drink alcohol. And you also had to do 14-hour clinicals daily. Um, Of course you have to dissect every single body part they tell you. Like, why would you not? And also, why would you not? Like, you want a doctor that maintained a D average? No, you didn't. Right. Oh, for sure. I'm just saying, this is what, you know, she's dealing with. And Helene did all that and more. Also, still being a seamstress and everything else. I don't know how she did it. Like, 14-hour clinicals and going to school. And, you know, like, the dissections were sometimes, like, You know what? (laughs) The dissections? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's what they call them where she lived in Indiana. If you live in Indiana, just go along with it, okay? But the dissections, that just sounds like a real country, okay? The dissections were sometimes held off campus and stuff. And so, like, that would be a different time, you know? So, she's just, like, fitting a lot in. But she was a freaking badass woman and impressed her professors so much that they asked her to be the curator for their pathology museum and to teach some classes to the underclassmen. And this was a huge deal for anyone, you know, any student. But women did not teach men back in those days. You know, like that was unheard of. Like a man is not going to listen to a woman on a fucking subject, you know, especially not Medical, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of men were pissed off about this. But it was what it was, and Helene rocked anything they threw at her. She was one of two women who graduated in 1904. Then in 1905, she continued to blaze a trail by becoming the first woman to be the deputy state health officer in Indiana. She worked there as the assistant pathologist. She then became the assistant state bacteriologist. 
And again, Helene was a freaking Renaissance woman because she was also a good artist. And she started doing illustrations for various medical books. I will say, though, like as much as she has to be smart as fuck to be like the pathologist and all the urologists that you said, she's not treating patients. Yeah. You know? Well, she does later. But I'm just saying, though, like, yeah, because that's a man's job. Uh-huh. However, she could run circles around all those people. And what she is doing is still hella hard. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Of course, she's more behind the scenes. Right. But she continued climbing that ladder. And in 1908, she became the superintendent of the State Board of Health. Damn. Then Helene left the board because they promised to have a pay increase, but she wasn't given it. And basically, they said because she was a woman, she would never get paid what that position commanded anyway. And basically, you know, <laughs> she was doing all the stuff. They promised her this stuff. And then they were like, yeah, we were never going to give it to you anyway because you're a woman and you don't deserve that. So ever the badass, she resigned and contacted the newspaper. And she said that she was leaving due to discrimination and broken promises. She then started her own practice. And just like before, when she worked for the rich families and she bartered, she would do that for people who couldn't afford her services. Like, she seriously paid it forward. Also, talking about her being a Renaissance woman again, that's how she got a piano and the lessons to learn it was by bartering with someone who really couldn't pay their bill to see her. So she was seriously jack of all trades, master of them all too. And also, just a side note, like asterisk, I am not a master of spelling Renaissance because it had to be corrected every freaking time I said it. That's literally one of the hardest words in the English language to spell. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> so she started going around Indiana and presenting different sanitation practices. And that included sex education. Get it, girl. Yes. So that was like really taboo. Like people were not speaking about that. But, but she was 100% being like, hey, here's sexually transmitted diseases. Here's how you can try to prevent them. Here's how you can cure them. Like practice safe sex. Do all the things. And, you know, like everything. And I mean, she's like, look, I see the nasty, nasty of the nastiest being a bacteriologist or whatever. Like wrap it up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so again, she was before her time, like by a hundred times. She also became a professor at the Indiana Veterinary College where she specialized in rabies. And she was like really one of those people who blazed a trail in that whole research, how to treat rabies and stuff. So just a lot of shit. But sadly, all that amazing work she did and the wonderful life she led came to an end on October 25th, 1911. I believe she was just 35. She did all that work before she was 35? I think so. <laughs> I might not math right. So there's that. She's probably like 75. <laughs> what did I say? She was born in 1875. What am I? What did you say? 1911 minus 1875. 36. Yeah. Okay, I was right. Jesus. Man, I, I'm, I'm not living right. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Well, that was very sad. <laughs> she died. And then it's like, what? Helene's body was found 
when her assistant, Catherine McPherson, went to her apartment, which was also the medical office, uh, she arrived a little after eight and Catherine was like, something's wrong. Because when she entered the apartment, she wasn't warmly greeted by Helene, who was a, you know, look, she does all this. So, you know, she has to be a morning person. But so she was normally up and at them, you know, doing everything, coffee, a brewing, all the things. And it was silent in that apartment. So she looked in the bedroom to see if Helene was ill. And that is when she found Helene's body on the bed, sprawled out, and her nightgown was soaked in her blood and her throat had been cut. It was cut so deep that it went to her spine and it was slit from ear to ear. Jeez. But guess what? The police said, oh, this was a suicide. Oh, my God. Probably wasn't even a knife there. There wasn't. Oh, my God. (laughs) Basically, because she wasn't living the most amazing life ever. Like, the apartment that she lived in wasn't, you know, she-she of the she-she. She lived where it was called the Delaware Flats. And, you know, she wasn't a wife with multiple kids. You know, so she had to be unhappy. And therefore, she ended her life. Also, the police chief... Mr. Dickwad, Martin Highland, he said that he believed that she did die by suicide because she was 5'6 and 150. And at that height and weight, she could ward off any attack. 5'6 <laughs> and 150 pounds? Yeah. That's like less than average right now. <laughs> yes. I'm like, she's kidding. <laughs> but, um, what? Ward off any attack? You don't know anything. Like, One, she could have been drugged. So even if she was the strongest person in the world, if she was drugged, she ain't going to ward off anything. You know, what the frick? But it's just like, she was so big that uh, she she had to die by suicide because no one could kill her. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Yes. But the coroner was like, no, no, no. He said that she died by choking on her own blood And there was no way that she could have cut herself how she did. Because one cut was so, like, deep that she would have, like, bled out enough that she couldn't do the next one. Like, it would be so weak. But And the knife was gone. Yeah. I I mean, yes. But, yes. But, basically, this cut was known as the sheep's cut, which someone would have to have the knowledge on how to create those perfect incisions and so she was cut on one side first just barely missing her carotid artery and then it was like cut deep enough though to make her choke on her own blood and then the second cut was so deep that it did nick the carotid artery and cut into the spine like I said so I feel like it was like they wanted her to suffer you know like they did it to where the first one you know, she wakes up and she's like choking on her own blood, can't do anything. And then they, you know, cut her like, oh God, I don't know. Also, the coroner was like, um, there's a bruise on her thigh and other signs of struggles like on her hands and her nails. So she wouldn't have done that to herself. And like I mentioned, the police just grazed over the fact that there was no murder weapon Uh, so, you know, I don't know how she was apparently supposed to do all that and then be like, and out the window. Right. And it's not even out the window, you know, all the things. But because they didn't notice anything had been stolen, they just assumed it was a suicide. 
But something was missing. A silk kimono that she had been wearing. And like she wore it all the time. Well, the police had to look into it as a murder now. You know, like they're like, oh man. So they didn't really have a whole lot to go on. Some of their suspects were very far-fetched. Like they said, the janitor of her building, Jefferson Haynes, he was good for the murder. He was, surprise, surprise, African-American. And he lived below her. And when he was interviewed, he said, yeah, I heard some noise above me, but I was too scared to go investigate. So when it like died down, I was like, okay. So, you know, he had to be guilty because he heard something and didn't act on it. And then another one was some Greek prince or something who had been seen sending a letter near her apartment. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Do you, do you have to get a quota of like three suspects and you're just like, you saw this man, a Greek prince, sending an envelope? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yes. Also, there's just princes just walking around. I know, I know. I mean, I feel like they should have like flags and secret service. Right? Anyway, so luckily her friends and fellow female colleagues, you hence female colleagues, like mm-hmm. Nobody not, else. yeah, pulled money together and hired a private eye. Harry Webster. And they actually came up a little short, but Harry was like, no, like this is enough and I'll do it and I'll cover the rest. Probably because those female coworkers were like, um, this could happen to us. Who did this? Yes. So he investigated for 15 months and then he brought his findings to a grand jury and they indicted two men. Those two men were Dr. William B. Gregg, who was 40, and Alonzo Ragsdale, who was 58. So here's the tea of it. We haven't said that in a while, but here's the tea of it. Dr. Craig, William. Well, <laughs> you just said that just like the movie Friday. Yeah. Craig. <laughs> he was the dean of the Indiana Vet, I said Vet College, but Veterinary College. And I think he ran a vet clinic too. Anyways, remember that sheep's cut? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have had knowledge of how to do that. Um, also, he was a dean of that college where he had hired her mm-hmm. because she worked there and stuff. You know, all the things. Also, Alonzo was arrested as being the accessory and William was arrested as being the murderer. So, to make it even more juicier, Helene and William, they were in a relationship. Helene's friend said that they were engaged, but William denied it. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't know of their relationship. And he was like, look, I wanted to end the relationship. We would not have been engaged. But remember, she was a seamstress and stuff. So she like made a lot of her clothing and all that. But she had like, I guess there was a receipt or something, but she had paid to have a dress made. And so it was a little bit more fancy than what she would have been able to create herself. So like she wouldn't have spent that money. I think it was like $70. But back in the day, that was a shit ton of money. Yeah. So she wouldn't have spent that money on just like a normal dress for anything. And she had told her friends that they were going to get engaged. And even like, I don't know if I can handle his temper, but I really want us to be happy. And, you know, all the things like her friends knew but, like, no one else did on his side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably because she was chubby. <laughs> you know how that shit goes down. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, she's, like, thin as shit. She but. is, yes. Not according to Police Chief Dickwad, but... But, you know, men be trying to hide the big girls. Mm-hmm. 
don't you know you can't hide us? The skinny guys I like, me, it would be like Shaq hiding behind the little tree. Yes. <laughs> but also, bitch, fucking please. Yes. William's housekeeper said they heard William and Helene arguing. And it was something about, like, something at work. So, who knows what it was. She was probably doing better like than he wanted her to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I can't stand with people like that. If they are intimidated by someone and y'all work at the same place, y'all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They will like take it in the relationship and not just leave that stuff at work or whatever. Like they don't want the best for you. And then they're going to like scream at you as your boyfriend or your fiance or whoever and or leave the relationship ended or whatever over something that's at work and that. It's your insecurity and stuff. Like, I don't know. Oh, gosh. Anyway, I hate him. But, okay. So, Alonzo, he was connected because he had something in his possession. Uh Uh-oh. The, whatever that thing was they were looking for? Yeah, the kimono. That. And it was the same one that they were looking for. It had been given to Helene by her cousin as a Christmas gift. And Alonzo said that William had paid him to remove it from the scene and to try to wash the blood out of it. Well, after that trial, to no one's surprise, they were found not guilty. I'm so shocked. Right. It was really sad, but in court, they just ragged on Helene. They basically painted her as a masculine, aggressive woman who did not live the proper lifestyle. You know, so Helene wasn't just a victim of murder. She was a victim of basically a hate crime by the courts. And her case sadly remains unsolved to this day. However, we allegedly know who allegedly done it. Dr. William Craig. Craig! Like, oh. So, if you want to know more about Helene, there's this book titled She Sleeps Well, and it's all about her. And the author ended up paying for Helene to have a headstone because she had been buried in basically an unmarked grave in Crown Hill Cemetery. And so, I think with some of the funds of that book, she got her a headstone. Oh. I know. I'm like, again, all the women, like, propping her up and all the men fucking tearing her down. Yep. It wouldn't be a story I covered if there wasn't some, you know, type of paranormal aspect to it. The Delaware Flats, the apartments that Helene lived in, they were made into a hotel and then, I believe, low-income housing. Well, people say that close to where Helene's apartment was, there are unexplained things that go on all the time. Some say that they've seen her ghost wandering the halls, and others say that lights will turn themselves on and off. Also, those disembodied footsteps that ghosts love to have going on, they hear that too. Another place that her apparition has been spotted is the Athenaeum, which was originally called, I am going to fuck this up, and I try not to because it's German, but it's Das Deutsche Haus. No, that sounds right. (laughs) Corey, do your magic on it. (laughs) Um... It was a community place for German-American Indiana peeps to hang out, have fun, and Helene loved to dance and eat there. But also, there is this one, like, again, undocumented story that some of the dissections learned how to say that properly this episode, and (laughs) that they would do that there. But they say one story, but I don't know if that just got put over in different sources that I found, but I saw that a lot. But it was done in the auditorium at that place. 
But again, it might sound odd, but various colleges did have different classes scattered throughout different buildings back in the day. Once when a paranormal group was investigating the Athenium, they were at the old costume room upstairs, which they called the Grandma's Attic. Not the, I just am country and put that there. Grandma's Attic. They ask for... Like, are there any ghosts up here? Blah, 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 blah. Communicate with us via our EMF device. So, you know, it it's the one that lights up and it'll go like, beep. Yeah. And so, of course, they were like, you know, like two for yes, one for no, blah, 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 blah. So they had a spirit interacting with them and they asked if she was female and she confirmed it and actually confirmed that twice. So they tried to like get her, you know, like, are you male? And it was nothing, you know? And then like, again, that happened. So they're like, okay, well then it was confirmed that she was a teacher and a doctor, but like they asked her different occupations and these two were the only ones that she like confirmed. So they believed that they were talking to Helene's spirit because again, she was a teacher. She was a doctor, you know, obviously a female And something else to note, Helene did teach there at the Athenaeum. Okay, so (laughs) Carrie just helped me say the word that I've been maybe saying wrong. I think it's Athenaeum, 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 Athenaeum. In Indiana, please tell me how to say it because I did listen and I don't know why I didn't do my, what do you call it? Phonetics, but I've done phonetic it up. (laughs) That was funny. <laughs> I love when I keep. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love when I catch you off guard. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, she did teach there at that building that I'm not saying anymore. But when it was a college and she taught sports medicine. Get it, girl. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was just like, damn, she loved that. Because a lot of people were like, that's not where she died. That's not da 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 But it's like, that's where she had a lot of enjoyment. And so she had like her work there, her recreation stuff there, you know. So like that really could be a place that she would want to reside in the afterlife. There was an employee, Shannon Poole, and she said that she had witnessed a shadow-like figure and she could see it from the from the neck and shoulders up in that attic and others confirm that they feel sometimes uncomfortable in that attic just because it's like there's a heaviness up here or I feel like I'm being watched like I'm not alone I'm uncomfortable but there's also some other ghosts that hang around because that was their favorite spot too so I'm just I'm going to talk about them for just a second there's Henry the ghost who is on the third floor and he's known to turn lights on and off whenever he feels like it he'll also mess with the doors by closing and opening them once David Johnson that building's manager he's been the manager for 13 years and he said that he was in his office one day and heard a knock like like a legit knock open the door and no one was there. And he was like, no, no, no. I heard a knock. And I think he even was like, come in. No one came. And so that's when he like, oh my God, who's out there? But no one was there. Craig Mintz, he's the president of that foundation. And he also has had experiences, but one that stuck with him more than the others. And that was his first experience. He said he saw a man and a woman walking into the theater but it was after hours. And so he called out to him to be like, hey, we're closed. 
And he was like just 10 to 12 feet away from him. But they kept walking like they didn't hear him. So he followed him, repeatedly telling them, hey, we're closed. Hey. But they went around a corner. He rounded that corner right after them and they were gone. And he double checked all the doors, all the windows. They were locked. So he was like, yeah, that's it for the night. And just left, locked the door and was like, "Uh, see ya. Other people have seen a couple too, and they believe it's the same couple he saw that night. But this couple is always dancing in the theater. People have also heard children giggling, but no one's around, let alone not children. And there's also a lady in white who's been seen at the YMCA in that building. Uh, Other people have said they've seen shadow figures in the theater and heard disembodied whispers. Sorry. There's another ghost who is named Jolly from the man, Jolly Werner. Yeah, Jolly Werner, who he died, but he had been drinking too much and fell into the fireplace. But, geez, right? But he's usually seen in the restaurant part. So that is all about the Athenaeum or Athenaeum, whichever one that is. But it's like atrium. I know, right? But that is all about Helene Kanabe. And I just thought, like, this story, her story, like, she was so amazing. And then, of course, just her life cut short. Who knows what she could have done? Like you said, she was only 35. So who knows what she could have done? And, of course, you know, it's still unsolved, quote, unquote. But (laughs) wink, 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 we know. And then her, I don't know, it's just like she's so much like death couldn't stop her. She's still kicking it where she wanted to kick it. With her homies? I mean, what? <laughs> Who says that? I don't know. Give me a boombox so it can be on my shoulders when I say, you want to go kick it? Rolling with the homies. That's a classic. Look, I watched it the other day. <laughs> like, just, it was, like, on in the background, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that is all I have for today, class. Thank you. Goodbye. Man, I wish I was a go-getter like her. Me too. Me too. But see, okay, she's a good type of doctor. Not like that doctor from last week. That one has still stuck with me because he got on my god dang nerves. You were really, like, affected. I was. Oh, gosh. (sighs) Because I'm just like, people don't go to the doctor enough as it is. And then when they finally do, it's, you know, people like him that people are like, this is why I don't go to the doctor. Right. I'm like, no, go to the doctor. What she's not telling you is that she used to be those people, but now she goes to the doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do too. Neither one of us can be sick. Well, my story, of course, came from a recommendation in the Facebook group from Kayla G. So we're talking about Kenneth McDuff. Kenneth grew up with a dad who was a cement finisher and actually made a lot of money doing that business. His mom was Addie McDuff. One of the articles I found from Texas Monthly, which was like probably the biggest article on this, fucking described her as large and domineering woman. Who are they talking about? Helene Knabe? I'm like, why are you going to comment on her size? Yeah. Like, because it was so abnormal for the woman to wear the pants in the family gross but Mm -hmm. that she had to be large and domineering yes large and in charge so she was in charge of this washeteria across the street from their house and she managed everything she managed the kids she managed the money she managed the washeteria she managed everything 
But even though Kenneth had a lot of siblings, he was treated like he was a prince. Just, you know, walking around like in your story. (laughs) Now, Addie was very, well, both of them, I guess, but they were very strict. But Kenneth got away with a lot of things. Like, it was almost like he was the baby of the family, but he wasn't actually the baby of the family. Uh Uh-huh. And his name's Kenneth. Right. Sounds like my brother. But Kenneth was a bully. Okay, not like my brother. Right. Though he did say I had ham hocks one time. One time. And that was probably when she was like six years old and she's never let him forget it. No. Okay, so he would kind of con other kids into like doing gambling at school. Okay, maybe like my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Kenneth, if you're listening to this, I love you. But he could con some people into, like, he, he's just got away with words. Kenneth could literally sell anything to anyone. Yes. <laughs> but Kenneth's older brother, Lonnie, was actually pretty bad himself. Allegedly, uh, one time he pulled a knife on the principal, and the principal threw him down the stairs for it. Oh, okay. Hello, 1950s in Texas. Yeah. So, okay, this is so goddamn terrible, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell y'all this. Oh, God, what? So, his brother uh, named himself Rough Tough Lonnie McDuff. Now, I heard this story in two different ways. So, I don't know if it was Lonnie or Kenneth, one of the two, got in trouble on the bus and had gotten kicked off the bus. And the mama was so pissed that she went and flagged the bus down and they started calling her pistol packing mama mcduff because she pulled a fucking gun on the bus driver <laughs> god when they have very like they're long-winded their nicknames we cut his nickname but just anyone yeah yeah heck his brother uh nicknamed himself rough tough lonnie mcduff <laughs> Pistol packing Mama McDuff and rough tough Lonnie McDuff. Are these like freaky deaky Donna? Like no one called them yes. that. But okay, yeah. I think actually people called her pistol pu- okay. pistol whatever I said. Pistol packing Mama. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, they go to extremes. Also, I listened to a podcast about this, and they were like, kind of being like, "Yeah, go mom," and I'm like, "No, he fucked up. He deserves to be kicked off the bus. Yes. He was in trouble. Like, can we?" normalize supporting people in charge like teachers and bus drivers and all of that principals like okay the principal should not kick the damn thing i'm not saying that right but like if he did something wrong to get kicked off the bus yeah don't come at the bus driver come at your kid for not minding right but basically teachers and students were scared of the mcduffs kenneth and his mom because kenneth was a bully himself and was mean to the teachers and to other students but then you have the the pistol pack and mama that would come up to the school and be like no 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 no. my kid didn't do that my kid's perfect your teacher must be lying so the teachers were just like fuck well, i mean what do you do with that yeah so it said that kenneth had an iq of about 92 so when you're looking at like an intellectual disability you're looking at like 70 and below okay that's i was thinking 75 so he was not in like normal range i would say all anybody who's a psychiatrist or psychologist or psychometrist just let me know but like he's not like i would say like over a hundred would be more within normal you know what i mean yeah i guess he would be like probably in that one standard deviation with a normal whereas 70 would probably be like two yeah but what do i know so he wasn't 
the sharpest guy in class. And he had a hard time in school. And when he would fail a test, he would tell everybody, like, look at me. I failed this test. And I'm pretty sure it was just a defense mechanism to be like, wait, this was really hard and I failed it. But Mm -hmm. I failed it because I didn't want to pass. Right. But one thing that the people he went to school with remembered the most is he had this, like, maniacal, like, I'm picturing straight Heine laugh. Oh, I don't like that. I do not like that. And then they said that, like, instantly, it would be like, laugh, 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 stop. And it was like, on and off, on and off. Like, it was like a light switch. It was bizarre. But, okay, this was probably the biggest thing in Kenneth's schooling. So when he was in eighth grade, he, again, bully. And there was a guy named Tommy. Kenneth challenged Tommy to a fight. So it's all set up, you know, 3 p.m. after school, on the schoolyard, be there kind of thing. So Tommy shows up, and even though Kenneth is the instigator, the one who's like, we're going to fight, Tommy beats Kenneth up. And it's like, womp, womp, womp to Kenneth because he's this bully that everybody was afraid of, and then Tommy took him out with, like, no problem. Okay, so all I can think about is that, you know, a Tommy gun, but, like, how people say, like, I'm bringing gun show oh, and their okay. muscles, and I'm just like, <laughs> too much. Okay, go ahead. So, just a couple of months after that, Kenneth quit school. Oh, dang. Like, I don't know if it was, like, he couldn't show his face after having been this bully, and then everybody was like, wait, what? Yeah. And so, after that, he quit. It wasn't long after that, in 1964, that Kenneth, who is about 17 at this time, starts breaking the law. He's breaking into buildings. They say he's like prowling around for sex, whatever that means. Um, But he's doing a lot of burglaries. Now, he ends up getting caught for these robberies. And so, for these burglaries, he got actually sentenced to 12 four-year prison terms, which would have been like 36 years for him. But because he was so young, they were like, okay, look, let's actually serve them concurrently instead of consecutively. And, you know, that way he can, you know, he's young, like, let's let him, let's give him a second chance. Yes, please. Let's give him a second chance. And he goes on to do something terrible. Well, he did. So after he got out, he was hanging out with a guy named Roy Dale Green. Now, they both worked for Kenneth's dad in the concrete business. Now, Roy Dale Green is said to not be very intelligent either. And so he was more of like the follower to Kenneth McDuff and just kind of went along with whatever he said. Well, Kenneth had bragged to old Roy that he had (laughs) not the dog food. (laughs) I was going to say, that's what my dad used to feed his dogs. So he bragged to Roy that he had actually raped and strangled quite a few women in his lifetime. And on that Texas Monthly article, he there's a quote that says that he told Roy Green that killing a woman is like killing a chicken. They both squawk. Oh, no. Don't you want to punch him in his face? Yes. 
So it was one of those stupid, like, 1960s, like, locker room talk that is stupid. But Roy, so Roy kind of believed him, but didn't really believe him. But, like, okay, cool, dude. But on August 6th of 1966, that's when Roy got a taste of what Kenneth was talking about. So they've been working together all day and decided to go hang out. Kenneth drove a brand new Dodge Charger which is so weird because it's like they're back, but now they're gone again. But anyway, and they were driving down to Fort Worth. Now, Roy had never been to Fort Worth. So he was like, ooh, ah, like Donna on our way to Chicago when she saw the Amish. Uh, It was not Chicago. Kansas City, wherever we were going. So. But in Chicago, I was like, a Chinese, what is it? A Chinatown? Yeah. A Chinatown. They had dragons on the light poles. That was cool. So. Kenneth had actually been to Fort Worth a lot and, like, knew people. So, as they, like, drive around, they're drinking, they stop and talk to people that Kenneth knows. And so, Roy's like, this is so cool, you know? But eventually, they drive and they see this girl. She's a teenager. She's very pretty. She has on, like, a red and white striped shirt and has some cut-off jeans. What year did you say this was again? 66. Okay. And that teenager is 16-year-old Edna Sullivan. So Edna is hanging out. Wait, Edna. Is that the lady from the... Incredibles? Uh, yeah. Edna mode. No okay. capes. Yes. So, so Edna is hanging out at this baseball field with her boyfriend, 17-year-old Robert Brand, and Robert's cousin, 15-year-old Mark Dunham. He's visiting from California. So Roy and Kenneth pull up to this baseball field where they're all hanging out, you know, just being teenagers. And Kenneth takes a 38 from underneath his seat and walks over to the kids. He makes the boys blindfold themselves and he puts them all in their trunk. So they're all in the boys Ford and Kenneth drives them with them in the trunk and Roy follows behind in Kenneth's car. So he takes the kids down this like country road and he stops and he opens a trunk and he says, I want the girl. So he pulls her out of the trunk and tells Roy to lock her in the trunk of his Dodge, which of course Roy follows his lead. So in the trunk of the Ford, the boys are like kneeling in this trunk because she's out like begging for their lives when Kenneth When Kenneth shoots Robert twice in the head and Mark three times. Then he lifts Mark's head and shoots him again. What the fuck? So Roy sees all of this and like covers his ears because he said that basically Kenneth's face looked like he had reached inner peace. Like he was completely peaceful and happy with it. Yeah. But he's like covering his ears like, holy fuck, you know? So, Kenneth tries to shut the trunk after he shoots the boys and kills them, but it won't shut. So, he just, like, backs that Ford that they're in with the trunk open up against the fence. Then, the two, Roy and Kenneth, get in the Dodge with Edna in the trunk, and they drive off. So, they eventually drive and drive and drive and stop about 11 miles away from where they had left the boys in the Ford. Kenneth takes Edna out from the trunk and forces her to undress. He throws her in the back seat, and that's where he rapes her the first time. 
He ends up raping her two times and then made Roy rape her. Oh, my god! And then Kenneth raped her again. Fuck. This is heartbreaking, but I, just to show you, like, how awful it was for Edna, this is pretty graphic, so if you need to skip forward. But Roy says that he remembers Edna saying, I think you ripped something, as she cried while Kenneth was raping her. Oh, my God. So after Kenneth was finished, they ended up driving further down the road. And when they stop, the next part is how Kenneth actually gets his, like, moniker. I've heard this two different ways. Um, he, so he forces her to get out of the car. And this part I heard on a... Um, you know that crime scene investigation channel that's like ID? Yeah. Okay, there was an episode on that that I watched on YouTube. They said that he then raped her with a broomstick. And then he used the broomstick to choke her to death. Oh, my gosh. And then that's how he became the broomstick killer. Oh, my gosh. When Kenneth was killing her, he forced Roy to hold her legs down. So then they threw her body over a fence and left. They stopped on the way home to bury the blindfold from the boys, and they got rid of their own underwear. Wow. So the next day, Roy is not in a good place. This was not what he signed up for. Like, he knew that Kenneth was, like, capable of this, but, like, he also kind of didn't believe him, I think. Yeah. So, like... I think, like, he knew that he was getting into some mischief that night, but I don't think he had any idea it was going to be that. Right. So, the next day, he's out riding around with friends, he being Roy, and news of the killing comes over the radio, and he loses it. And he's like, my God, I got to tell somebody, and he just blurts out everything that happens. So, he goes to police. And tells them everything. So Kenneth gets arrested and Roy's like the star witness. An article that I read said that after this, because Roy got like five years, I think, for his participation for being a, a witness. And like for his participation, you know what I mean? He went to jail for five years, but then he got off yeah. a lighter sentence because he was a witness. So, but they said that like he's still so fucked up from it that he just spends his whole day in the bar drinking beer. Like he cannot oh, move yeah. past it. I think even if he thought they were going to rape and kill a woman, like it's all talk and you're like, yeah, I could do it until you see like, no, he was brutal and Mm -hmm. it's not what, you know what I mean? Not like, oh, but some people play it down and they're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, even just like being a detective, it's like, I want to be a detective. And then you go to your first crime scene and you're like puking your guts up. Cause it's like, wait, no, this isn't Dateline. Like yeah. this is real. This is somebody's life. This is real blood. This is real maggots. This is real. You know what I mean? Yes. Like this is real. And it's a whole nother thing when you're seeing crime scene pictures and you're learning and all of that, or Mm -hmm. you're listening to a podcast or watching Dateline or whatever. But then when you're like actually at the crime scene, you're actually interviewing or you're actually involved. It's a whole nother ball game. We can all Monday morning quarterback. Exactly. So Kenneth's mom hires a fancy schmancy lawyer and tries her best to get him off. His sisters and his mom are there in the courtroom like every day supporting him. But he eventually does. Oh, let me back up. Sorry. In this, that Texas Monthly article, his mom says that he's too good for his own good because she said he was actually with a girl 
from his church, like, you know, banging. And he won't tell who it is because he doesn't want to ruin her reputation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's a charmer. Right. So he's found guilty and gets sentenced to death. But at this point in time, you know, we're talking late 60s and the death penalty had started to kind of slow even in Texas. And there was that court case, um, Furman versus Georgia, that was kind of making its way to the Supreme Court to potentially end up like outlawing um, the death penalty. So there were two points that it became time for Kenneth to be put to death in 1969 and 1970, but he had a stay of execution for both of those. Well, then right after that, in 1972, is when the Supreme Court said that, um, long story short, they overruled the death penalty. So all of these inmates in Texas, there were 88 at the time that were on death row, they were commuted to life in prison. So Kenneth gets transferred to another unit and he starts working in the fields, doing all the inmate things, got a, a, a fucking hustle going on for days. Like he's like running the roost of his zone, like uh-huh. living his best damn life. So after that, in 1977, his mom hires another attorney because she's like, let's get my boy out on parole. Wow. A mother's love, I guess. Because I'll tell you what, that would not be me. So this, another fancy schmancy lawyer wrote like a 26 single page letter to the chairman of the board. And like, everybody's like, oh, ooh, ooh, this is so fancy. Blah, 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 blah. Single space. Ain't nobody got time for that. So if I got that report, I would be, L- I would be TLDR. Legit. Give me the cliff notes. Yes. I would hand it to you and say, can you read this and tell me what it says? <laughs> yeah. So he had gone in front of the parole board a couple of times that had been denied. And one time he even tries to bribe a parole board member. Like he's like, hey, like, um, you're like the whole, like the vote. And uh, if you get me out of this place, I'll get you 10 grand. And that guy's like, cool, cool. And then like immediately went and reported the bribe. And he got in trouble, but not really. Like, that could have been the third strike to keep him in prison forever, but they didn't charge him with it. So in 1989, this is what happened. There was this big push in Texas where they had to start paroling 750 inmates a week because... A week? Yes, because the prisons were so overpopulated. So, since then, they boomed. Like, $2 billion was spent, and they built all the fucking prisons to make it what we know of as today, the Texas prison system. But, you know, they started with petty crime stuff. They started with the nonviolent offenders. But eventually, it got to where 750 fucking inmates a week is a shit ton of inmates. So, eventually, you're going to run out of the, like, the drug deals, and you're going to end up with some of these violent offenders. Yeah. They were literally approving, like, 8 out of 10 people a day for parole. That is ridiculous. So, it came up for Kenneth, and they paroled him. What? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And also, this was not his first time being in prison, getting out. He escalated after that. And then tried to bribe a parole officer. Yeah. Or whatever to, like, to get out of 
to get out on parole. Yeah, what the actual fuck? And like I said, he wasn't a model inmate while he was in there. He was running a hustle. He was, like, it was talking about, like, he was so big in prison, like, he even, like, could pick who his celly was, like, all kinds of shit. Like, he was, he was not just keeping his nose clean. Yeah. But what he did was he figured out that, like, okay, the parole board really likes people who, like, finish school, do all this stuff. So he was basically, like we said before, in a terrible way, playing the long game. Mm-hmm. Because... He was like, okay, I'm going to do all of this to get out. But after he got out, 1989, in spring of 1991, he enrolled in the Texas State Technical College in Waco. He moved into the dorm and started classes. But it wasn't long after that, a couple of sex workers were reported missing in the area. Oh, my gosh. Okay, at this point, he drove a red pickup truck, okay? So there was a sex worker named Regina Moore, and she had last been seen in Kenneth's truck going through a police roadblock, literally like kicking and trying to get out of the truck. And they were like, you're good. Go on. No, no, they weren't. They started chasing him and he fucking got away. Are you kidding me? Nope. So then they came to question him about it a couple of days later. But guess what? Nada. Fucking nothing came of it. What the it was, actual fuck? Yeah, it was like he could just fucking do anything and get away with it. Yeah, which is why he's going to be more brazen and everything. Because, oh well. Well, when it came time for final exams, just like he did in the other school, he was like, you know what? I'm actually over this. I don't want to take these tests because he was probably doing poorly, I would think. And he didn't want to take those tests uh-huh. because he couldn't be like, look, I failed on purpose. Like, you're paying for this. Yeah. He also had a tan Thunderbird. How he get all this money to get the... His family. His, his uh, family was had tons of money from the concrete business. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. In my head, their company name is McDuff and stuff. But, you know. Concrete, so... Uh, tough it's mcduff oh shit i'm so bad at long names like everything i create i'm a fucking mcduff (laughs) our our cement is mcduff tough but then they have mcgruff being like (laughs) too many puns okay bye so then there was another sex worker named valencia k joshua police ended up finding her body she was naked badly decomposed but here's the thing she was last seen on the campus looking for kenneth's dorm room wow so then there was another girl 22 year old melissa northup i don't it's n-o-r-t-h-u-p i'm sorry if i pronounce her name wrong i really hate pronouncing a victim's name wrong yeah the perpetrator i don't give a fuck if i say your name wrong because you're a dick but like a victim's last name or name i really hate pronouncing wrong So she worked at this gas station and she worked the night shift and she was actually pretty sketch about her job like at night. Like she was like, this makes me really nervous, yada, yada, yada. And she was kidnapped from the gas station where she worked. Her body had been found weeks later, bound and in a gravel pit. Now guess what though? Her body was found near where Kenneth's tan Thunderbird had been abandoned. 
Oh my gosh. Now, here's the thing. Kenneth is MIA at this point. Nobody knows where he is. And his mom actually files a missing persons report on him. Oh. But they, like, know his car is next to this dead body. Yeah. I'm literally in my head over here going, she's a pistol-packing mama, and they're McDuff tough. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Why's that got such a good ring to it, though? The pistol-packing mama. Who knows? So, at this point, the marshals are involved. Everybody's involved looking for Kenneth. So, they start figuring out all the stuff that he had been involved in. And they actually find out that he has a kid. What? Yes. But he has a kid with a woman that he had raped and left for dead. Oh, my gosh. So, she was 21 when she learned who her dad was and said that she had actually visited him in prison. Like, and she became kind of um, fascinated with him, and he was, like, trying to get her to bring drugs into the prison. Oh, my gosh. She told the marshals that the family had actually paid $25,000 to a former parole board member in order to get him released. What? But she definitely ended up, like, seeing him for who he was and, like, moved out of state to get the fuck away from him. So... While the marshals are looking, like, they're literally interviewing any and everyone that would have anything to do. They find this guy named Hank Worley. Now, they're like, this is like fucking Roy Del Green made over. Like, this is, this is him. Like, this is, and this guy, and he, Hank worked for the concrete company that his dad owned. Like, like this is somebody that he would for sure have used for whatever. Would his nickname be Squirrely Whirly? I mean, could be. So basically, the marshals come down on him pretty hard, and he finally broke and told them a story. He said that one day he rode with Kenneth to Austin because they were going to get some drugs. They, you know, Austin, 6th Street, like that's like Austin's version of Bourbon Street. Yeah. So they were down there, and they had made a couple of turns when they see this girl named Colleen Reed. Now, Colleen was at a car wash washing her car. So they see her. They pull in in the fucking Thunderbird. And Kenneth walks up to Colleen and literally, like, picks her up by her throat to where, like, her toes are just, like, trying to, like, you know, take the weight off of her throat. Oh, he, my God. He threw her in the back seat, and Kenneth drove first. So then they get out of Austin, and then they he pulls over and make, makes him switch, and then he puts Hank driving. So Hank's driving when Kenneth forces Colleen to take her clothes off, and he starts putting cigarettes out between her legs. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, my gosh. And then, of course, he rapes her. So then they switch places again. They stop. And um, Kenneth and Hank switch places. And when he gets in the back seat, Hank notices that Colleen's hands were tied behind her back at this point. So, so instead of helping her, he takes his own clothes off and forces Colleen to perform oral sex on him. Oh, my gosh. Then he rapes her. Then Kenneth turns off again, um, kind of close to where his parents live. And they stop and he rapes Colleen again. 
what the actual fuck? So at this point, they're stopped and they like get her out of the car. And Hank said that she's like so terrified and she like puts her head on his shoulder and is like, please don't let him hurt me anymore. That's fucking heartbreaking. Then Kenneth grabs her by the back of the neck, throws her in the trunk, and of course just slams it shut. He takes Hank home and Hank's like, what are you going to do with her? And he says, I'm going to use her up. I, ooh, okay. So at this point, we actually still don't know where Colleen Reed is buried. Oh, no. But at this point, the police know that he's killed at least four people since he's been out on parole. So police are like, we, we got to, we need some help. So they actually feature him on America's Most Wanted. And they got like 50 tips. Three days later, they find him. The police think that he may have killed as many as nine women. Oh, my gosh. One of which, um, Serafia Parker, her body was found three days after he was paroled. Wow. So he was charged with capital murder for Valencia K. Joshua, Melissa Northup. Long story short, they ended up finding him guilty, and he was sentenced to death and he was put to death by lethal injection on november 18th of 1998 oh my gosh wow so much like when you were talking about i was like oh my god that's so weird we're talking about the Dahmer thing because how you were saying like if he would have been in jail like none of this would happen literally if he would not have gotten paroled for the first set of murders that he did none of those women would have been killed yeah if he would have had to serve his full time not concurrently but consecutively, maybe none of this would have fucking happened. Well, and I, but I do understand for an 18-year-old kid that just, like, fucked up and did some robberies. But why are we, that's a lot of robberies. 12 is a lot. That's a fucking lot. That's a pattern right there. It is. It is. But I do understand the system wanting to give him a second chance as a kid. However, like, he got out in, like, four years, three years, whatever it was, and then fucking committed murder and was on was sentenced to death and like the only reason why he was not sentenced like put to death was because it was changed to a life sentence and then you're gonna fucking parole him oh my god so bad so fucking terrible like he should have literally he should have never been paroled but if they would have convicted him for the bribery that would have been his three strikes Uh and he would have never gotten out there was even a bunch of stuff like I didn't really go into, but like a bunch of stuff while he was on parole that he should have been sent back, but he wasn't. Like there was some, um, I never really understood what happened, but there was like a fight with some like racial slurs and stuff that he was like arrested for. I don't know. Like that happened while he was on parole. Like there was so many things that happened while he was on parole that if his parole officer hadn't been so overwhelmed with the 750 people a week that were on parole, Mm -hmm. he could have done something and sent him back to prison too. Yeah. Well, that really is in line with Dahmer. Like, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So like when you're saying, how I feel right now, you're going to feel watching that. Oh my gosh. I know when you, when you were saying that, I was like, oh my God, it's so weird. And I was like, do I go first today? Cause I was like, (laughs) that's going to be crazy. It's like, boom, boom, you know? Yeah. Holy shit. Like, that just, oh, that makes me so mad. And it just hurts my heart when someone should be in jail and they're not and they commit brutal acts like that. And I know it's not anyone's fault but the system's fault, you know, but it's like those deaths are on your hands too. 
you can't tell me there wasn't someone else that could have been let go, like paroled or whatever. But also, okay, think about who's being convicted of these other crimes. Stop convicting them for fucking five years for pot and shit. And, like, you might not have that overcrowding. Like, you can't let 750 people go. What do you say? Daily? A week? Week. A week? Like, that's a shit ton when you're like, well, uh, he's only had 10 kills. It's okay. You know? Like, what the hell? Maybe look at who you're putting in the system then. Because if you're just keep doing what you've been doing, you paroling these people who have now been in jail prison, whatever, for so long and did heinous fucking shit? No. Oh, God. Mm. But they're but they're not going to do that because that would require introspection. What they're going to do is spend the $2 billion, or how, yeah, $2 billion or however much it was, to build more prisons. Uh-huh. Let's not fix the root of the problem. Let's just make more places to house them. Yeah. Wow. I fucking hate him. He's the worst. Oh. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed this. My blood's a little boiling, but, you know, it is well, what it is. <laughs> it's so thin, it don't take much. <laughs> One of my coworkers, she has a lot of food allergies, and so she can't eat a lot. And she was asking me what I was going to eat. And I was like, I think peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And she was like, never mind, I don't want what you have. And she was like, well, I can't anyway because I'm allergic to peanuts. And I was like, ooh, or a grilled cheese sandwich because that sounds good too. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. At least throw some like spinach in there and make it like a grown-up meal then, you know. And I was like, well, I can't do spinach because (laughs) of... It makes my blood thicker. And she was like, what? I had no idea. And I was like, you got allergies. I got illnesses. You know. (laughs) You got issues. I got them too. Or whatever it is. That's not it. (laughs) That was terrible. But you get the point. Yes. But it was just so funny. Oh, gosh. Anyway, we want to hear your feedback on this episode. Both stories. But, whew, Carrie's my lord. Well, don't forget to like, review all the things. And remember... Creep it real and And don't don't get scared. scared.